everybody, and welcome to the world's favorite youth baseball podcast, Clearing the Bases, featuring coach Jimmy Phil and Jerry. I'm David Friedman, and I want to thank you for coming along this ride with us. How are we doing today, coach? You know, I'm doing great today, Dave. We get to release the 2023 ABCA convention episode. You know, we talked about taking this show on the road. And man, I got to tell you, I'm really, really glad that we did. I had a great time, number one, at the convention, but I got to sit down and talk to a bunch of really great guys. We're going to start this off with three of the coaches that I sat down with, Anthony Pla, Buzz McNish, and Jake Lindmeyer. And I got to tell you something. These guys were great. And, you know, I like the fact that we're going to be able to give our listeners a little peek into what it's like to be at the convention. So let's start this off with Anthony Pla. And let's see what he had to say. So we're here at the convention with Anthony Pla from Lincoln University. It's great to see you again, Ant. Great to see you as well, Jim. So what's going on? Talk to me. ABCA, man. It's, it's, it's like uh, you know Disneyland for coaches. It's, it's the time of year where we get a chance to kind of refresh, regroup, learn some new stuff, meet some old friends, make, some, make a lot of new ones, network. You know, this is the, you know, the four or five days where we get a chance to kind of be ourselves as baseball coaches and and softball coaches because there's plenty of them here. Yep. You know, 8,000 people, there's somebody you're going to run into wherever you go, and, and we're just excited to be here and, and continue to learn and continue to get better for our program. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Being here, for me, is like a kid in a candy store. Rekindling old friendships. There's a lot of people that I meet throughout the year virtually, whether it be instant messages and stuff like that, but I never really meet personally. And to meet a lot of people and put a, a, a face to the name, to me, is, is, is priceless. And, and, you know, it's funny, too, like, you know, we're going to all these different sessions and there's a trade show and you have the hot stoves. And, you know, as you, I'm sure you've looked around and, and wherever you've been, there's a hot stove going on everywhere. Yeah. You know, there's, there's where we're standing right now, there's, you know, there's probably 50 or 60 hot stoves going on and they're happening all day long. Yeah. You know, and then you have your, the camaraderie with all the coaches from all different areas and different levels. And, you know, you go out into downtown or wherever you stay around, you stay around the hotel area and they're just anywhere you go, you're going get, to get to have a conversation with somebody about baseball, regarding baseball, kids, player development, strength, conditioning, whatever it may be. And this is the place that you're going to have a chance to get so many different perspectives and maybe kind of have an open mind. Yes. You know? I mean, I, I can't tell you how many presentations that I go to that I get a little out of this one, I get a little out of that one, and the next thing you know, all of the stuff that you learned here becomes part of your program, becomes part of your everyday routine, and I just think that it's fantastic. One of the things, too, that's, that's pretty cool is that you were probably one of our first guests, if not our first guest on the podcast. So again, here to be able to see you again and bring back somebody that I think that we spoke probably two years ago yeah. on the show. Yeah. And to do what we're doing now, it's, it's, it's just unbelievable. It's pretty awesome. And again, you know, I think this is my, my seventh or eighth convention in a row that I've been to. I've been a member for a long time and, and I was always trying to get here. And my first convention I remember was in Anaheim. And, you know, I, I spoke with a couple guys from the ABCA at the time and, and, and they were like, listen, you're gonna get a lot of information and you're going to get overwhelmed by all the people and, you know, who's who of baseball. You know, you're going to bump into your, you know, your big-time Division One coaches. And, you know, sure enough, we're um, downstairs at a restaurant, whatever the case may be, and there's Augie. And he's uh -huh. like, hey, what are you doing? Really? Yeah, come over. Wow. 
I never met the guy. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. Me. But all those guys are like that. Tim Corbin's like that. You know, the guys from the guy. Um, drawing a blank. Uh, Savage from UCLA. Like, my point is this: is that you know you you don't know who knows you. You have no idea. I mean, people follow your stuff, and everybody posts things about what they want to do, especially if you want to get better at this game. And and not, I don't know. Think all the content that you put out is is about you know getting recognition. It's yeah. about people trying to learn, right? Yeah. And this is what I notice. What we teach our guys, and maybe it'll help somebody else. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think you know you, you when you get some validation from people, um, it's kind of interesting how it all comes full circle when you come to an event like this. Exactly. I mean, let's face it. I mean, how did I meet you? We followed each other on, on Twitter. Yep. I reached out to you. You were gracious enough to accept to come on the show, which I don't know if you even remember when, when I first contacted you. I was like, geez, you think that maybe, you know, you'd be interested in coming? And you were like, what are you, nuts? Yeah, of course yeah, I'll absolutely. Come on. You know, and it was at a time, you know, when we were in a situation where we were in a pandemic and everything that we were doing was on Zoom. And all we did was learn through Zoom in the baseball world. And I'm sure every other world was the same way, right? But through that, we made a lot of contacts, and some of those contacts that we were that we've made across along that time, we're now meeting up here, and, and we're we're getting pictures together, and we're getting you know we're having lunch together, and we're sitting in the same places, and you know now I've had six of my friends get up on stage, yeah, you know, uh, and and do and do their own thing on stage, and like, had we not had that pandemic, I don't know if we'd in that, be in that boat, but I'm sure this camaraderie doesn't change because sure. it's just an amazing situation. Right, and you're not giving yourself credit too because you were a presenter on that stage also. I, I was, but the only reason why I was a presenter was because, again, you put out content and, and you hope it sticks somewhere. You know, and, and, I, and I don't think most people that put, are, are putting out content are putting it out because they want to go next level. They want to keep going to the next level. Sure. Like that wasn't what I was trying to do. What I was trying to do was help whoever it was. And I had people before me, Kai Correa, Tucker Frawley, all those guys, in, infield guys, Tyler Gillum, Clay Cox, you know, Trent Mongero, uh, Nate Trotsky, you know, the, the list goes on and on. Tyler Smarslock, Dylan Mazzo, like it, it, it's craziness. And it's because of those guys that I was like, well, let me throw some stuff together because now it, it seems like it's validated, but I do a little bit different. Right. And maybe somebody else does it that way. And, you know, we always talk as coaches that there's not a cookie cutter way to do it. Everyone's a little bit different. You've got different sizes and shapes and speeds and athletes and all that stuff like that. So, you know, you have your youth guys, you have your high school guys, you have your college guys, you have your pro guys, and everyone's going to be a little bit different. Yeah. So everything's going to help somebody. Exactly. And, you know, be, I was humbled and, and, and very thankful to, to be asked to go on the stage after doing a Barnstormers in, in, in the same year. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm still thankful for that. And I'm thankful for that because I've created friendships and, 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 and a network system that, you know, people that I can call on now to lean on and like, hey, man, what do you think about this? Hey, man, what do you think about that? And it's been awesome. Yeah, I mean, like you had just said about guys doing things different ways and you do it one way, another guy does it. Well, what I love about that is it keeps us thinking. When I hear somebody, like I just went in and I, I listened to Zach's presentation and <clears throat> he had a couple of things in there that he does differently than I do. And I said, I write my notes. It went right in. I said, you know what? I'm going to try it. I like it. So we all become better coaches by coming here because we're learning more stuff and it's just really, really amazing. This is my fourth and I can't see for the rest of my life missing one. I said the same thing and it's always a tough time of year because it's right after the new year and the holidays and stuff like that. And it's right before school gets going again. But I don't think you can miss something like this if you really want to be in this game and, and, and help your kids get better. Like I'm always, we're all we're all gonna continue to learn. We're we're lifelong learners. We we 
we read books, we listen to podcasts, we, we, we watch the guys on the main stage, we watch the guys on the huge stage, we listen to the hot stuff. Like, I, there's so many ways to learn and get information, and this is one of the best ones to do it because everyone's here. Everyone's here. You know, and then when you leave here, and this is something that, you know, if people do get anything out of our conversations that we have, when people come here, and this is something I learned my first year coming to the ABCA in Anaheim, was you're going to get stuff out of, fire, out of a fire hose. Yes. And, you know, I don't know if you can implement stuff immediately because you've never actually tested it before. And the way that, we, the way that I've used it in all these years, <clears throat> excuse me, is I take a little bit of a time, I, I, I implant it here or there, and see if it sticks. And then, you know, as the fall comes when we do all of our developmental stuff, that's when I try it okay. and see if it works. And if it sticks and it works, then now it's part of my program. And the guys that can do that do travel ball, that college coaches that do travel ball stuff, I'm sure they'll do some stuff over the summertime because all those guys want to learn, those players want to learn new things also. But you can't just throw it in there if you've never done it before. Like, it looks cool. It's like, that's a great idea. Like, this is a really good, good catching technique. This is a really great outfield drill. This is an unbelievable infield pattern. Our guys have no idea. I've never seen it before. And I've never taught it before. So how do I know it's going to stick? So when I, when I talk to the younger guys, that, the younger coaches that are here that ask me questions all the time, because, you know, I'm asking those guys, the older guys as well. Sure. When they ask me questions, I said, be who you are. Don't change anything. What's your, who are you? Are you an infield guy? Are you an outfield guy? Are you eclectic? Can you jack of all trades? Can you do a little bit of everything? Which is what I had to do for so many years. Sure. Great. But if you know the information, make sure you have it all. Make sure you work through the plan and then execute your plan. Right. And then if it works well with your team and you think that it's going to help somebody, so I think that's what the end result is usually. Usually these drills and skills that you see on, on all these stages, somebody on your team, it kind of clicks with that guy. Like, man, like, you know, Mikey or Johnny, like, Mikey would really do well with this drill. I've never been able to figure out a way to get this guy to do a better drop step. Well, th this thing might help him. Right. And I think that's where some coaches want to implement, 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 but they've never tried it before, so it may not work. Right. So, yeah, to your point, yes, you, you definitely have to have a uh, testing ground for it. And to your point also about drinking from a fire hose, <laughs> but that's one of the great things that they've done where now they put all of the videos on online. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I know that I go back and I, I refine what, what no, because I'm feverishly taking notes. And, you know, you can't get everything. No, 100%. So you go back, you use these videos, you can pause it, right? And just a, a wonderful thing. And as you're taking notes and, 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 you know, you're looking down at your paper, you're writing some notes down, he, he might say something that you missed. And, and when you go back to it, like, man, I, while I was writing, I didn't, I didn't catch that part. And then there's the drills on, you know, the drills that they show. Like they get, you get to see all those all over again and see how they're run and stuff like that. It's just, it's honestly amazing. There's so many great minds in the world of baseball. I mean, I, I don't know if there's people here that, and I'm sure that, you know, there's, uh, you can have some arguments about why somebody doesn't think that that will work for somebody, but maybe it works for somebody specific that that's why they do that drill there. So, so I don't ever question all these guys about how they do stuff and why they do stuff. You know, the hitting guys, they, they, they've got their way of doing things, and, and, and I have my way of hitting with, with our program. But it's always great to learn something new because, again, maybe Mike or Johnny needs something a little bit different than the rest of you guys have. And, and I think, man, this place is, again, it's like Disneyland. You, you, eyes wide open, handshaking everybody, giving, giving bro hugs to everybody. It's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. So now you college guys get ready to go on another couple of days. What do you got planned for the season? So um, this will be the first time in, 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 my, in my career at, at Lincoln that we have um, a full roster, 30, 35 players, 17 pitchers, 
So this will be the first time for me that I'm going to kind of learn how to manage a program of that size. Um, so we start on Tuesday, and you know we're going to probably be inside for the most part. Obviously, you know we're 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 northern northern team, northeastern team, and so we'll be inside for the most part. But if we can get outside, we'll be outside. And uh, I just think we're we already know what we need to do. Um, we know our plan. We know our defensive strategies. We know our offensive strategies. Now it's just a matter of getting us ready. Arm-wise, getting us ready mentally, getting us ready physically in our five weeks before we go play our first game. So these five weeks are going to be a little bit of a little bit of a lot. <laughs> and, you know, we'll bring our guys into groups. We'll bring them into different sections because we only got a, a gym to use and a couple batting cages. So, But uh, we're, we're excited about getting going. I know the guys are excited about getting going because we had a really good fall. We ended on a really good note. Um, our pitchers were throwing, we're still throwing bullpens in, in, going through November. So we shouldn't have to go backwards too much. Um, which means we can go live pretty quickly and and um, you know get ready for our first games in early February. So the one thing that you said that really says a lot is that you've been there for how many years now? Fifteen. And you said that you have for the first time you have an actual full roster. Okay, so to me what that says is that you're doing something right because you're getting kids to come to you to play for you. So that's you know something that you should be proud of. That again, I it's, am. Like, it's like anything else. It's baby steps and it takes time, but. You get there. I am, and, and you know, it's been, a, it's, we've talked about this the last time we were, that I was on with you, and it's been a really bumpy road um, as far as how the transition happened from going D3 to D2 and being an HBCU program, um, playing in an HBCU conference, the conference dropping baseball, having to go into a whole different conference that is, is uh, um, the competition is a, lo is a little bit better than, or it's a lot better than, than the old conference, and just trying to be able to compete against those schools for the same players is now a little bit harder. Um, and we also don't have, you know, resources. And I don't want to cry about it. And, and, and no, but you hear that a lot. We, we do. We, we don't have the resources. But but at the end of the day, if you can coach, you can coach. And I think we, we thankfully, we have Coach Connor, who's who's come on on my staff four years ago, who's been unbelievable for us and helped us grow. And which is well, we went from 21 guys to 36 guys, and he's been a, a really big part of that. You know, our last two or three classes, we've had eight, 12, and 13 guys. So that's why our roster is as big as it is. And with him, it's, he's the pitching guy, so our pitchers have gotten better and it gives me a little bit more opportunity to just work more with our defense and our hitters. But, you know, if we have another coach, maybe it helps more. If we have more scholarship, maybe it maybe helps more. And I get all that, and I understand that. And I'm not saying that, that we're like, you know, the Vanderbilts and the Texases and, and stuff like that in the world where you have a full staff and you have the GAs and things like that. We have what we have. Yeah. And we're going to work with what we have, and we're going to get our players to work hard for us and work hard for each other and go out and compete. And that's all I can ask them to do right. at the end of the day. And it sounds like you're doing a good job of getting that done. So, look, it was great having you. Like I said, you know, one of the first, you may have been the first guest I had. And to be able to speak to you and, and you know, do something here. But I want to leave the door open because I want to get you back on the show at some point. We'll do it maybe after your season. We'll do like a little recap of how your season went, and we'll do another full show. I think that uh, because your show did great, a lot of people, you know, download it, listen to it, and stuff like that. So, I, I really, I want to thank you for coming on again, and um, good luck. I appreciate you having me, and it was great to see you again, as as always. And I know you're busy going, getting a lot of guys on on, on and and I'll be honest with you, I, I tell all the, like our, our little group that we've had. We're talking about our pandemic group that we created in this in this in this uh, sense here. We've, I'm like, go talk to Jimmy. Go, yeah. go give him a shout because there's a lot of great baseball minds. We've got catching guys, outfield guys, infield guys. We've got pro guys, high school guys, college guys, JUCO guys. We've got softball girls. You know, uh, it's, 
it's pretty awesome. And, and I appreciate you doing, doing you doing what you do, and I appreciate you giving an, a voice to baseball coaches of all of all ranges. So um, thank you for doing what you do. Appreciate no, you. I'm kidding. I love this. I could talk baseball forever. Number one. Number two is, like you said, with your group, there's all different coaches, different levels, all of this stuff which is great. We all, and I guarantee you, I don't care what coach you talk to, we all understand that we got to work with the young guys. We got to help the young guys to get so that you guys have players eventually. And I've been humbled by how many people want to come and talk about how we can do something to make youth baseball better. And that was the whole reason why I did this, was just, I don't know, let me see if I can get something out there so people maybe start to understand that this is not about winning trophies and yelling and screaming at kids and, and you know, all of the nonsense that we all know we hear about. There's a really good side to this, and it could be a lot of fun. So, I mean, I enjoy it, and I love having guys like you on. When I, and we all appreciate it. We all appreciate, good. again, what you're doing for the game, and, and you know, hopefully you continue to grow in this, in this space, and I, I think you will. I think you'll get some, some good guys on there. You've already had a few good guys that, that I've seen. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll help whenever, in any way we can. So let me know. I'm ready to come back whenever you need me. I love it. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much. So how cool was that? To be able to sit down and have just a 15-minute conversation with a great coach like Coach Pla. Again, it's, it's, um, you're probably going to hear me say this a million times through this episode of this podcast, that it's just a wonderful place to be for baseball coaches. So the next clip that we're going to go into, we move into the high school range with, with a coach from Fulton High School in Knoxville, Tennessee. His name is Buzz McNish. I got a chance to sit down with him and take a listen, see what he had to say. Okay, so we're here with Buzz McNish from Fulton High School in Knoxville, Tennessee, correct? Correct. So Buzz is an Eastern Tennessee Baseball Coaches Association Hall of Famer. Am I right? Yes, sir. Okay, that's a fantastic, that's a great accomplishment, a great honor. It is. Uh, That organization was actually started in 1981 by by the head coach of the University of Tennessee. And then it's it's existed since then, and and it's a pretty, pretty big organization throughout East Tennessee. And how long have you been coaching? This is my 25th year. Wow. Wow, you don't look that old. You look like, you look... <laughs> I started very young. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I, I can relate to that a little bit because I started young also, but it was a complete disaster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I totally understand that. I, so my first year as an assistant coach, I, I went back to my high school alma mater, uh, my last year of college after I was done playing. I went back there and was an assistant and was actually an assistant with uh, somebody who was a college teammate of mine, and it was his first year coaching and my first year, so it was a real disaster, like you said. And, and he did it for a year, and he's like, this is not for me, and he got out. And, and we had another coach, so I was an assistant to, to a second person the second year. It wasn't a whole lot better. And uh, <laughs> So then the third year, they, they made me the head coach. And, and, and actually, I had learned my lessons those first two years experiencing that. The, fir- the first thing I did, I, I went and got... Um, I went and got two assistant coaches who had coached a whole lot longer than me and knew a whole lot more than I did because I knew if I didn't do that, I was going to end up the same way, right, same way those first couple of guys did. Right, I was, was going assistant to be a train, yeah. train wreck. Yeah. And, and a cool story about that is, is one of the people that I got to be an assistant coach 
I ended up marrying his daughter. So oh, really? I got a laugh out of it. Yeah. <laughs> so it really worked out <laughs> for you. Right. That's fantastic. Yeah. So. When that disaster happened, I didn't coach for a very long time. And I said, well, you know what? I'm going to do this, but this time I'm going to do it right. So it took a lot of work, a lot of, I mean, you know what goes into it, how much you have to study and you have to learn. And it's an interesting ride, but, and I'm sure you're the same way. You have to be very passionate about what you do. Sure, you, you have to be passionate. And, and, and I think it's important that you surround yourself with, with good people and, and, and don't be afraid to surround yourself with people that, that are smarter than you and know more than I you love do. That. And, 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 you know, if you, if you, you can be passionate about it, but if you don't surround yourself with people that are passionate about it too, then it'll wear on you pretty quick. So it's important that you surround yourself with people. Yeah, I, I never want to be the smartest guy in the room, but in my case, I never have to worry about that. <laughs> yeah. I tell our assistant coaches that all the time. That's one of the things I tell them, you know, on the front end and at the beginning of every year. Um, you know, I, we don't need yes men. You know, if you've got a better way of doing something, we need to talk, let's do it. And, and you know, you know, I think that's an important. That's important to growing your program, and it's important to growing as a coach. And 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 it also it helps you get good people because you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of assistant coaches. They don't they don't get a whole lot of say in, in the programs they work in. And, and I think it's a good thing for people to know that you that you're going to give your, as an assistant coach, you're going to give them a voice in your program. Yeah, I, I mean, I could say my my assistant coach at the high school where I coach last year was his first year with me and I let him run I was happy as you sure. could possibly imagine I was like okay you take the infielders I'll do this and I let him run and we do everything as a team he, he and I are a team mm -hmm. it's not that I'm, I'm the head coach or the assistant coach we do it my way no 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 we work as a team and I think that's the way it has to be yeah absolutely I think that's your kids who are who gets the benefit from from having a coaching staff like that, and and that's what we're all in it for as the kids. So, so I think that's that's an important part of it. Yeah, absolutely, in it for the kids. So, when did you get here? Uh, late last night. So my wife is a middle school athletic director, and they had eighth grade night last night, so we couldn't leave till they were done. So we didn't get here till late. So, <laughs> so what what uh, type of presentations are you thinking about seeing? Uh. You know, I'm not, I don't know that I have anything specific. I, I, I kind of try to see. I went to earlier today. I saw the guy from Arizona State with the diversity um, in baseball. I, I think that's, um, you know, and, and I'll see some stuff. Uh, I mean, obviously, a little bit of hitting, a little bit of defense, a little bit of everything. I, I think when I go to clinics, I try to get. Um, Try to hit on all aspects of the game, so, you know, whether it's on the field and off the field, and, and try to get something yeah. out of each presentation you can take back and implement or, or talk about with your coaches and, and, and see how it fits your program. Yeah, I feel that I like to, you know, get to as many as I can, mm -hmm. kind of what, what you just said. And I, I found that what I wind up doing is I take a little bit from this guy, a little bit from that guy, I make it my own. And yeah. I think that that's one of the great things about this convention is that, like what we're doing right now, is just sitting with a bunch of baseball guys, learning about baseball, talking about baseball, and trying to make ourselves better. Uh, I think I always try to take our all of our coaching staff to, to a clinic once, and we usually go to the state clinic, um, the Tennessee State uh, Clinic, 
But one of the things that we do is, is our coaches go to each session, and at the end of the night, we sit down and we all compare notes about what we heard. Because you might hear something a little different than I hear, you know, than what I heard in the same presentation. But, but we sit down and, every night and we compare our notes and we go through what we, what we heard and we liked and, and, and what might work for us. And then right. we talk about it and how can we implement that. And again, I think that's a big part in... I think it's important that a coach doesn't get stuck in their ways. They're willing to evolve and they're willing to grow and they're willing to learn new things. You know, the, I, I don't know that the game changes that much, but how, how you deal with kids changes and how you teach them changes. And, and you know, I think you have to evolve or you get, you get left behind. Yeah, I feel, I feel that we, you know, we're all not perfect, obviously. We make mistakes. The better coaches are the guys who understand those mistakes and try to better themselves so they don't happen again, as like what you were just saying, as opposed to, I know everything, this is the way I've been doing it for so many years, and you know what? I mean, I'm not a young guy. I'm still looking to, I'll learn something from one of my players. If they say to me, I'll use this as an example, um, this happened one time, and I can't remember what it was about, but one of my players said, you know, hey, coach, I had a coach who did something like this, 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 and I said, show me. So he showed me. I said, okay, you know, whatever, I let it go. And then I thought about it, thought about it. And I said, you know what, that makes more sense than what I was doing. I'll take what my, I'm not proud that way that I have to say, you know. Yeah, that's one of the things that I do a, a, for the State Coach Association, I do a mentoring program for, for new coaches. Right. And, one of the things that we always talk about, we do it. We do a session at the state clinic every year. One of the things that we talk about is is uh, not being set in your ways and being willing to listen to, to people and talk to people because it's hard to survive if you don't. If, if you go into it with the attitude, and, you know that I already know everything. I don't need to don't need to listen to somebody else tell me what to do. What you know, you're gonna. You're gonna stub your toe a whole lot, and you're gonna create a lot of problems for yourself. That you know, and that's why you know one of the things that we saw is there were a lot of people getting into coaching, and they would coach for two or three years, and they were gone. They're out of it, and, and I think that has a lot to do with it. Is is you know being willing to learn or not learn. That's gonna that's gonna be what keeps you in the game. Yeah, I I've seen that a lot of times that guys who have played at high levels believe that that's all they need to be coaches. And I can tell you from experience, and I'm sure you know, yep. that they're two different animals. Absolutely, absolutely. I, you know, that was one of the things, and, and I learned that early on coaching is, is um, it, it, we, we actually had a clinic, and this was my probably my second year as an assistant coach, and, and we had a couple of major league guys, and, and, you know, we had a big group of kids out there, and, and you know, kids were trying hard, and and, <laughs> and, and so one of the major league guys said, well, we need to do this with them. I don't know if they can do that. And he said, well, that's the way we did it when I played for in the big leagues. And said, yeah, I'm not sure <laughs> they're going to be able to do that. <laughs> and that was my first, you know, and I, I thought about that, just what you were saying. I thought about that, but, you know, just... Just because you play at a, at, at, at a higher level, you know, you still got to be willing to play in there and coaching are, are not the same thing. Right. I, I and that's why it's important that you evolve, you know, regardless of what level that you play. Right. I, I feel that a lot of times 
what happens with higher level athletes is they can't understand why you can't do what I'm right. telling you to do. Yeah. Because it came natural to them. They're, sure. You know, they're 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 different than everybody else. Our job is. Well, you're you're also a teacher, correct? Correct. Okay, so we're as coaches, we're we're just teaching baseball. We're baseball teachers. That's what yeah. we do. Yeah. So you have to take them, you know, from one plus one is two, and move them up to where they're doing advanced algebra. Right. Absolutely. I think that's why uh, in the education world, it's, they don't like to hear teachers don't like to hear that coaches can help a teacher be a little bit better teacher but it's the same it's the same thing you, you know you you have to learn and and as a coach and, and especially in high school you know you don't necessarily get to pick your players you get what comes to you so you better figure out how to teach them to be successful you know and that can spill over in the classroom too and and, and make you a better teacher in the classroom because you have to figure out a lot of things and maybe do some things a little bit unorthodox you know right. or things you know that you wouldn't it's not normally the way you would do it but this is what i've got to work with so i got to figure out how to make it work and and you know it's the same you have to do that same thing in the classroom too. right how, how do i reach this kid mm -hmm. right sure yeah. yeah and what do i have to do because what what may work on little johnny may not work on little Petey. so yeah. you know we have to know how we're going to handle it with one player versus another and yeah. That goes back to what we were talking about earlier, evolving as a coach, because you know, when I started, I, I thought, well, you just coach them all the same. Well, they, they're not all the same. You can't coach them. If you're going to coach them all the same, you're going to fail a whole lot of them. Every kid's different. you got to teach every kid and coach every kid a little bit different. Yeah, yeah I mean, and I know there are kids on some of my teams where i got to get on them. All right? They all know that I love them to death. Mm -hmm. But... There's some guys that I'll kick in their ass without a problem. There's other guys I would never ever do that to because it won't work with them. Right. So you have to take a different approach. So I think that, yeah, as coaches we learn that. Sure. Yeah. So how long have you been a member of the ABCA? Ooh. Um, I have to get my card out and check. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Roughly. Probably. Uh, 13, 14 years, somewhere in there probably. How many conventions? Ooh, I've probably been in nine or 10. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, this is my fourth. Well, okay, so I've been a member for about six years, seven years, and this is my fourth convention. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Talk about the convention a little bit. Well, it's, it's kind of the Disney world of baseball. Um, I think it's cool because you get a lot of uh, get a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different levels of coaches, all in the same place, and, and you get to meet a lot of people that you know, and, and people from different parts of the country. I, I mean, I think that's always always something uh, you know pretty neat. And in and, and the expo, the expo center, uh, expo theater downstairs, the you know all the vendors. I mean, there's you know if if you. Can, if you can't walk away from here learning something or, or finding something that can help you, you you didn't try real hard. I was so. just going to say, yeah, there's so, there's so much that they that they offer. You know, one of the things that I really like about about the ABCA is, is they have the main stage, but they also have you know the youth stage. I've, I've actually found myself in the in the youth room more this time than than the than the main room. Yeah. So you know, I, I think they do a good job of. of something for everybody yeah 
Yeah, and I, it's interesting what you said because, again, we're both high school coaches. You would think that we would be not going to youth clinics, but I'm, I'm the same way you are. I find myself more in those youth presentations than I do um, at, you know, the main stage type. I think one of the things as a high school coach, you have so much involvement, in my opinion, if you're doing things the way that you should, you have so much involvement in, in youth ages and in younger teams. Uh, you know, if you're just coaching high school and you're not understanding what's going on with the youth game too and how to teach the youth game and what's going on in the youth game, you're creating problems for yourself right. you know, within your high school program. So I think it's important to do that. And I, I also feel that, especially like in, in my case, because I'm a JV coach, I'm not a varsity coach, my job is to get the youth, the kids I have are 14, 15 years old, to get them ready for varsity coaches. And there's a lot of stuff in those youth clinics that can help you reach these younger kids. Right. Um, and I also think that it's it's important. I don't know. I mean, give, give me give me your opinion on what you're seeing because my, my pet I have, I have a pet peeve that I feel like every year I'm getting players that know less and less about the game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I think we have a problem with with our with our youth system in our, in our country that it, that they're playing a whole lot of games but not learning a whole lot of baseball. You know, and, and you know all the games are good, but you got to learn some baseball too. Um, one of my really good friends, he he started a nine and under team, and and he we talked about that. He he was of the same opinion. You know, well, these kids are playing all these games, but they're not learning the game. You know, they don't have the skill to play. You know, that many games. So he started a team, a nine and under team, and they were going to play. Um, he told them we're going to have one practice for every game that we play. You know, we're going to play two weekends a month, you know, so we're going to practice for two weeks leading up, you know, practice a week, then play a week, practice, you know, so that it'll end up being a practice for every game that we play. So they played the year and he gets to the end of the year and he starts talking to the parents about next year and getting stuff in order and they're like, well, we're, we're playing somewhere else. And so how comes? Because they play more games on that other team. Well, you're missing the point. <laughs> We're trying to learn the game, yeah. not just play a whole bunch of games. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I, you know, I think we've created a little bit of problem for ourselves uh, with that system. But yeah, it is what it is. So we've got to figure out how to how yeah. to make the best of it. I'll, I'll agree wholeheartedly that we don't we don't practice as much as now. My high school team is different. We practice every day. You know, yeah. we're going six days a week. So we're going every day, but with the travel ball, this year at the end of the season, a, a bunch of parents, I sat down with the parents and I, I wanted to talk to them, you know, how the season went and that type of thing. And that was the one thing they said to me, we, we didn't play enough games. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, we played plenty of games. Right. I don't think we practiced enough. Right, right. You know? you know, and one of the things I think it creates for, for high school coaches is, is, is the kids grow up, that they've played all these games, you know, and not practiced much. Um, and then they get to high school and they are practicing as much as they're playing. And it, it creates problems for a high school coach and because the kids like, well, that, you know, this is not as much fun because we're practicing all the time instead of playing. And, right. You know, so I, I, that system, I think it, it creates, you know, it helps 
a lot of kids and, and you know and, and kids do get kids do get more reps but reps and understanding the game and knowing the game are not always the same yeah I, I could without boring anyone I can go into a million stories of things that I've seen and I'm sure you've seen them also that it really concerns me because they're simple rudimentary things mm -hmm. like so, again I don't want to get too in depth but you hit a ground ball to shortstop you better be busting it down there as hard as you can go yeah. and I've had kids at the JV level that will go halfway and stop yeah. and then when I get upset because those are things that I really will lose my mind over mm -hmm. they don't understand it what are you talking about coach what's yeah. now yeah. you know so it's something that I think we need to fix yeah absolutely and, and I don't know what the I don't know what the solution is, but but I do. Like I said, I, I mean, I think we have created some problems for ourselves. But, but you know, it's not going away, so we have to figure out how to adapt and and, and do what's best for the kids, and make the best. Of it. Yeah, but like you say, I think that if, if if we were sitting here right now during this conversation and you and I figured out a way to fix this, we'd be wealthy men. And you're exactly <laughs> right. And you know, when I first started coaching. I used to tell people um, about every three years or so, you could see a difference in kids and what they knew about the game and, and how they practiced and, and you know kind of what kids' expectations were coming into it. That was about every three or four years. You could really tell a difference. And then, and then it got every two or three years, you could tell the difference. And then it got about every year, you could start telling the difference. And it wasn't always for the better, you know. It was, but again, it was the system that a lot of them grow up in, and, and you know. And the other thing, there's a bazillion teams, so you know, yes. a kid can bounce around until he finds a team that he can play whatever position he wants, you know, as much as he wants, and and. When they get to high school and you got 40 people on a team and they don't they don't deal with it very well, but that's a reality of you know when you get when you get that age, you know, and we fail the kids growing up in that system because we've not prepared them for for working hard and earning your spot and, and you know and, and being a role player. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the other I think that I feel like we have to teach. Um, I, I, maybe the words base, baseball etiquette. I feel like we have to teach that a whole lot more now than you used to because people don't want to hold kids accountable for their behavior in that system growing up because they, if, if they hold them accountable, then they'll just go to the next team. And, and then you don't have enough left to play. So, yeah. so I feel like you know, in high school we're teaching that a whole lot more than we used to. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And accountability, yes. And again, I can tell you, I can tell you a million stories yeah. of kids that did something that you know they should have done, and I held them accountable for it, and they didn't understand. They were like, right. you know, what are you talking about? Right. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I know. I mean, you know, we, we, we were saying about, you know, the answer. We know what the answer is. The problem is implementing it. The, the, the answer is education. 
youth level coaches from the time kids are five all the way up till they get to varsity baseball because I really believe that from when they first start playing up through the JV ranks, it's all developmental. Varsity college is also developmental to a degree. However, that's more about winning. Varsity level, you have to win, otherwise coach loses his job. Mm -hmm. Same thing in college. So if we educate everyone from the varsity level down, then it's going to be a better world. The problem is you can't ram it down people's throat. So, again, we, we know what the solution is. We just don't know how to implement it. Yeah, I think there's some truth to that. You know, one of the things that I, I think is important is, is because I used to ask kids this, they'd come to tryout, you know, for their freshman year. I would ask them, how many of you have ever been to a high school baseball game before? Very few of them would raise their hand. <laughs> how do you know what you need to be able to do? <laughs> so, sure. So, and my point in that is, is if the kids have never been to a high school game, you know, and they don't know what they need to know, their parents probably don't either. And a lot of them's parents, you know, nothing, nothing against, against them, but, you know, a lot of them's parents are probably coaching them, you know, growing up. So what you're saying is, is I think it's important that, you know, whether it's high school coaches doing clinics, you know, in their, in their local youth programs or for their, you know, or, or working together with their local travel programs, I think it's important for the coaches in those youth programs, those travel programs, to, to hear from high school coaches and, and what high school coaches need and, and, and what they're seeing and, and what they can, you know, the, the youth level, the youth ages and, and, and travel, you know, travel ages growing up, what they can do to help high school coaches and high school programs. Do you, in, in your area, do you do a lot of that? Do you, do, does like your high school coaches work with with the local youth leagues? Uh, some. It's funny you ask that. I, I actually got a text message this morning about doing a clinic Good. next uh, uh, Saturday, a week from today. Good. Or a week from tomorrow, uh, actually. Um, so. Because I kind of set you up by asking you that question, but go ahead, finish. Yeah, so that's something we're, that we have talked about in our area a little bit and, and, and doing a little bit more of that. Um, you know, I, I think we're doing one next weekend. It's got. Uh, there's three high school coaches, and we're bringing in kids from, uh, I think, five or six different middle schools and, and families and, and, and doing a clinic that way. So, yeah, I mean, that's something. And, and we're actually, I'm, I'm running a youth program now that has football, basketball, and baseball. Um, and that's one of the things that we're doing in that program is, is if you're going to coach in our league, you have to do, you have to go to a clinic with the local High school. If it's football program, you you got to go. You're, you're required to do a clinic with the local high school football coaches uh, before before we'll let you coach in the organization. Same thing with basketball. Same thing with baseball. And how's that working? Well, we're just starting, so oh, I'll let okay. you know. <laughs> yeah, let me know because I I, I really I, I really like to follow up on that to see how that worked out for you. But what you just said about taking the coaches and going to the middle school. That I never heard before. That's interesting yeah. because I, I never thought of it, never heard of it. I, I always thought of it as like the high school coaches going to work with the local little league and stuff like that. But that's interesting. Yeah. Well, in this particular camp, it's, it's middle school kids, and then opening it up to 
you know, to other youth kids as well. So, so yeah, I mean, it will. I think the emphasis is with the middle school coaches and the middle school teams. Because in essence, that, that that's your feeder program. So you want to get them. So we ran into a little technical difficulty there at the end of that conversation with Buzz, but I think you get the idea. There's a reason why he's a Tennessee Hall of Fame baseball coach. So our next clip that we're going to listen to is the interview that I did with Jake Lindmeyer. Jake gave a great presentation on the youth stage, and I grabbed him right afterwards, and we sat down, and here's what he had to say. All right, so we're, we're here at the convention. We're with Jake Lindmeyer. Jake, great presentation. Thank you, man. I mean, it was fantastic. So tell us a little bit, you know, wh where you're coaching, what you're doing. So I am the head assistant at Brookhaven College, or Dallas College Brookhaven, however you want to call it. Uh, it's a D3 junior college in Dallas, very similar to the Herkimers and Niagara's up there. I also coach 18U National Softball, um, so I, and then I give youth lessons from 9U all the way to 18U, and then I work some, with some college and pro guys as well in the summer. So. I stay busy and I work with all levels. <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds like you've been doing a lot. Uh, but you know what? I, I think all of us that are involved in baseball, if we have a passion for it, we love it. Yeah. We, we... I don't have to sit at a desk. <laughs> That's my favorite part. I don't have to sit at a desk. So Exactly. So let, let's talk a little bit about your presentation. Okay. Um, one of the things that you were talking about were char characteristics of a good catcher. Yes, sir. So let's run through that a little bit. So for me, honestly, like the and I said it in the presentation, the more that I can have a field general coach on the field, the better off we're going to be. And it, like I look at it as, like, because I do all of our charts and game planning for the week, if I know we're facing a good catcher, we're probably shutting down the run. Because I know we're going to have to be perfect, and we're going to have to really get jumps on the pitcher, or we're not going to steal bases. Right. So if you got a guy that can do that, and a guy that can receive really well, and we got a bad umpire back there that we know he's going to abuse, we got to tell our guys to swing the bat. Like, hey, you you can't wait for your pitch today. Like, we got to go out there hacking because he's probably going to get a lot. And when you got guys that are a little bit weaker, where it's like, hey, we can run on him. He's probably not going to block very well. We can be a little bit more aggressive. He's not throwing very well. He's not receiving very well. Now you can be a little bit more selective at the plate. We can run a little bit more. We can do damage that way. So it's it's really about just having a guy back there that understands the game, can control the starting pitcher, the relievers, the closer, the the crafty lefty, the crazy guys. Like the, the more that we can build off that, the better off we're going to be. Right. You had, you had said that at the younger levels and how that, that is so important because if you're at like higher levels, you're not running on those catches. Yes and no. I mean, it, it's one of those things as far as like where, where the amateur game is right now. And I said it, it with us being able to lead off and pitchers not knowing how to hold runners on to begin with, like you're not in a position where you're going to have a really high throw percentage. If you throw two guys out in a 20-25 game season, you did really good at 10 and 12 years old. Sure. So I take more focus on can we control guys not running or stealing home on a block? Can we steal some strikes? Can we receive really well? Can you control the pitchers? And then as your arm gets stronger and the game slows down for us and the bases get bigger, then we can start focusing on that piece. But And that's where I think the one knee down stuff and the, like putting guys in different positions setup wise works because 
they're not, I don't care if you throw someone out because you're probably not going to do it anyways. Right. So if we can get your glove really good and your, your blocking really good, if all I have to teach you is how to throw, let's just get your arm stronger and then figure it out. But if you can grasp receiving, blocking, and game calling at the younger levels, the game slows down for you once you hit the bigger diamond, and you're sure. going to be you're going to be in position to have success anyways. Sure. Yeah, it's like everything else, right? We want to take baby steps. We want to put it together. We don't want to throw it all at once Correct. at someone. Uh, because, again, especially at the younger ages, they're going to get confused and not going to understand what we're doing. You would also mention something about at the younger levels now, which is a little odd, and I find it odd myself, is... 9, 10, even 11, they're leading, mm -hmm. you know, which is putting a lot of pressure on young kids that we are trying to teach how to be catchers because now they are in a position where they're trying to throw people out. And I think if we take the pressure off stealing bases younger and, like, they're going to steal, let them go. Like, don't, it's not your fault. If you throw them out, great. But if they can start to understand the basics and we completely take that off their plate as far as, like, I do not care if you throw one single runner out this season. They can still have fun knowing, like, hey, I just threw that kid out. Yeah. Like, I didn't know if I was going to do that or not this year. And you can still make the game fun, and then that's just a cherry on the top. Sure, sure. It makes, it makes all the sense in the world. So I'm going to go through a lot of stuff that you talk about, obviously, in your yeah. presentation, because it's fresh in my mind. You talked about the extra 90, mm -hmm. okay, and how that at the youth levels that that's more important that we don't give up or mm -hmm. you know on obviously on offense we want to take that extra 90 but on defense we don't want to give it up yeah so for me that comes that's more of a pitcher like when we talk third base not letting a guy score out a pass ball yes i think when i talk about giving extra 90s if a guy hits a single to the outfield and there's a runner on second, and he's going to score, knowing to come out from behind the plate and yell, hey, we're going two to keep that guy at first. Even if he's going to steal the next pitch, yes. understanding the game situations is we want to not give up extra 90s. Yeah. Guy goes first to third, keep the guy off second. Know when you can throw someone out. And I do a drill with younger kids where we put all the runners at first base. We put guys in the outfield. We have the catchers and third baseman there. And we have a coach standing at second base just to pick it up. Kid runs. As soon as I throw the ball up, and he's got to read. The outfielder's got to read. Can I throw him out? The catcher's got to read. Can we get him out? And there's got to be a communication piece in there and whatever. Once you play in a stadium of 5,000, you can't hear. Like, it, it, it goes completely on the outfield. Sure. Like, outfield and infielders like to do that. Like, the communication piece isn't there when a home team's screaming for, with 5,000 people. You sure. can't communicate there. But when it's just the 50 parents that are at the game and a couple brothers and sisters and family, we can communicate, and if we can communicate and teach kids how to communicate, the communication piece becomes nonverbal. Well, that's what I was just going to say. So yeah. in a, in a nonverbal way. Correct. Right. Um, and, and you just touched on a, a big pet peeve of mine with uh, youth baseball players is trying to get them to understand what you just said about that runner not taking that extra base. But if we don't ever put them in a game-like situation in practice and we just talk about, okay, this, this play, you're going to throw it to second. This play, you're going to throw it to third. And they don't have a live runner. They don't know. Sure. So then it turns into, like, we turn it into a base running game. We turn it into tag-ups. We, we talk through a lot of stuff. But 
there's a lot of moving pieces, and that's why, like, the presentation I put on, I wanted to do it for a coach that has 12, 13 players and only one or two assistants, and they're probably dads. So the more that you can get everybody involved in simulated situations without us talking just straight simulations, right. everybody gets better. Sure, sure. It's, it's, you know, practicing, again, practicing those little things that matter, putting them in those situations in practice time and drilling, drilling, drilling. So, yeah, be, hopefully it'll become second nature, mm -hmm. and during a game they'll just perform. But, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. So let's move, let's move into something that you had said about, well, let's go to this first because th this interests me. Let catchers play other positions. I love that when you said that. So for me growing up, I caught when I was 12, and then I began catching again when I was a junior in high school because my coach told me, you have a better chance to play college baseball at a higher level if you go behind the ditch. Okay, I have the IQ for it, but... I grew up playing corners first and third. I grew up playing shortstop. I grew up playing outfield when I played on higher teams. And I found that if I knew where everybody was when I went behind the dish, I could coach while I'm on the field, hey, this guy's a dead pull hitter. Shortstop, go that Let's way. Move. Yeah. Third baseman, cover the line. Yeah. Hey, he's not gonna pull the ball. Let's move, right? And like, we shift a lot at the youth levels. Now, it's not the ginormous shift that you see, but, like, shifting is just positioning. Yeah. So when you hear everybody talk about the shift and they put everything in, like, cool. At the college level, we give up the middle with two strikes because a kid's either going to be really late and slap it the other way or he's going to be dead pull because he's early. So when we get to two strikes and then positive counts where he's going to be either early or late and rarely on time, if you can beat us in the oppo gap, awesome. Right. But our center fielder moves over, our left fielder moves over, shortstop moves over, second baseman moves away, right fielder comes in a little bit. If right. you beat us in the gap the other way, awesome. Right. But you you're, probably, you're, you're probably not going to because right. how many kids are really going to do that, go 300-plus feet, the opposite way they're gonna slap balls the other way and like we did it at the 9U level like I played a shift where I moved our second baseman if a right-handed hitter was up our second baseman was playing almost double play depth even farther towards the base and our right fielder was in like oh like he was probably 15 steps off the off the grass right so if a hard ground ball gets hit to him he's still throwing the kid out at first so I'm playing with five infielders Beat me up, show me you can hit the ball the other way. Because yeah. those kids can't. But it like, I want kids to get hits and I want kids to understand the game and love it. But like, our kids bought into it and absolutely loved being able to look in the dugout and say, Coach, should I go this way? And you see them start to read swings and pay attention to stuff. And I, all I would yell out by the end of the first season was, Read it. They'd read one swing and they could shift themselves. Right at nine years old. Right, well, but again, going back to your point about the catcher being someone that had played other positions, yeah. now your job as a coach gets easier because mm -hmm. he's gonna come out in front of the plate, take yep. his mask off and say, yep. you know, whatever, right. or he's gonna be here or here, you know, he's gonna be moving But now I can communicate you. with him as far as, hey, he's off the plate, hey, his swing is really handsy, hey, he's trying to go the other way, so I can make a note of it. So when we are calling pitches the next inning against that kid, now we have a different approach. So you, you went into my next thing that I wanted to ask you about because, again, you brought it up, and I thought it was great when you talked about it because I'm a big believer. 
you've talked about calling pitches, mm -hmm. at, again, at young levels. If you don't mind, let's get into that a little bit. I, kids need to learn how to call. And unless you're competing for a state title, like if you're at the varsity level or the college level where you're competing for something, your job might be start to become on the line as you start going into it, that's where you can take over. But for me, as a guy that does, we do call pitches, we don't call them in the fall, but we do call them in the spring, if the kid doesn't have a clue of what I want called or what might need to be called here, he's just looking in the dugout and looking for answers. Right. And I don't, the way that I coach is I'm not going to be your Google. Right. I want you to go figure out what you want to learn sure. and I'll be a buffer on it and I'll talk you through it. So the more that you can become your own coach, the better off you're going to be in the long run. So I, I think calling pitches at the younger levels, like I, I said, it, go buy a $10 ring for someone if that's what they need, right? Like right. go give them a participation ring at the end of the season. Hey, you made it through playing for us for one year. Yeah. Cool. Like, and, and like, yes, I get the want of having the rings and the kids love it. And there is a competition piece. Like you can go on any uh, video game that's online and these kids know how to compete. But when there's just another game next weekend, this game doesn't matter. Right. When they're playing with their friends and they have to win this game to keep playing that night, it's different. Yeah. And kids today know how to compete. We just don't give them the chance to go do it. Because it, it's one of those things is coaches, because of all the information that's out there, youth and travel coaches want to control the game so much because they can we have to manipulate them so much at the varsity and high or in the college level when they get to us because of how much they don't know already that's funny because we talk about on the show we talk a lot about kids competing mm -hmm. and obviously i've been around for a long time okay and in my day nobody had to teach us how to compete we played out in the streets. We played constantly. Mm -hmm. And I don't find it the same, but I'm not saying that, that, that you're wrong, that kids don't know how to compete. I just don't know if they do it enough. They know how to compete, but the kids that don't aren't interested. Like okay. we, our group this year versus last year, this year's group that we have at the college, they hate losing in that bat let alone like a full game but like, those are college players i'm still dealing with kids that okay. are 18 19 years old trying to find themselves like i i know college baseball is college baseball but they're still kids so first time on their own they're still trying to figure out themselves they have to compete for us because there's we had 74 guys come in this year yeah and the difference right now is if they don't like how you coach at the travel level, they can come to me. And if they don't like how I coach, they can go to the next guy and the next guy and the next Good guy. Point. But I relate it to a job and I have no problem the way that it works. If you don't like your job and you quit on the spot, they're gonna replace you. Right. If you're not happy in your job, nothing's keeping you there, maybe besides a contract that you gotta buy out of or whatever, but no one's forcing you to work that job. So why are we forcing kids to do stuff? Now, I, I am all about like learning how to deal with struggles, learning how to deal with failure, trying to navigate life. 
But at the end of the day, if the mental health piece isn't there and the kid isn't happy and relating, go somewhere else. Right. Because you're not going to be your best player with us. Right. As much as we want you around, as much as whatever, I would love to keep all of our kids on campus. Right. I would love to make sure all 100% of our kids get everything out of our program that we want. Right. It's not realistic. Right. Of course not. Like, so for me, like the transfer portal and guys changing teams and doing I have no problem with it. It's giving more kids the opportunity to play. It might be watering down the game a little bit, but at the end of the day, when they get to college, they got to figure it out. Sure. And if you in the real world have the opportunity to change, if you aren't happy, move on. Right. The problem is the parents are unhappy, the kids are. So it, if it's because the parent's unhappy, if your kid's happy, keep him there. Sure. If he's happy being a bench guy, if he's happy being a six hitter, and he's getting better and enjoying it, don't let your emotions get in the way. And that's the issue I have. I mean, think about it like this. Your Johnny comes home from the game, he gets in the car. He had a good game, but the team lost. Dad, who played or didn't play or whatever, is upset the team lost, probably is questioning a couple of the coaches' decisions. So now he's airing out his ideas to the kid. The kid wasn't unhappy. The kid had a great day. The kid got to hang out with 12 friends. Exactly. And had a good time. But if only you are negative, that kid's going to become negative. Sure. Because, and I see it a lot on the softball side, they want to please you. They want to please coach. They want to please mom and dad. Yes. So at the end of the day, if you are their biggest supporter and make sure they're happy, you have issues, keep your mouth shut. Bingo. If you have something that you want to address with the coach about maybe how he's talking or whatever, by all means. Right. But you're unhappy with Johnny's playing time, but Johnny's having the time of his life. Why are you taking him away from that? Why are you taking it? Right. And that's the issue I have. And I, I can tell you that in my parent meeting, I have a, a little ritual that I go through. Um, and what I say to them is I say, how many of you guys watch football? You know, everybody's hand goes up. So I say, okay, what are you doing on Monday morning? And they all kind of like get quiet. And they're like, they're all right. So I said, I'll tell you what you're doing. You're beating up the coach. You're beating up the quarterback. He should have done this. He should have punted. He, whatever. So you're doing it to guys that are being paid multi-millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. They're best in the world at what they do, and you're beating them up. Mm-hmm. Okay? So I'm not naive enough to think that you're not doing it to me. Yeah. All right? However, beat me up all you want. Mm-hmm. All of you can go out beyond the left field fence. You mm-hmm. could say what a jerk I am, what an idiot I am. Don't do it in front of my players, please, mm-hmm. because you undermine me. Because and you want to know something? I think that I've gotten through to almost every group that I've had, you know, say ever since I implemented that within the last 10 years or so. So when I was the youth director of an org in Dallas, I told all my coaches, keep 80% of your kids happy. So if you can keep, if you can keep eight kids happy, you're looking at four to five that'll move on. Right. They were probably moving on anyways. Because they're looking to become one of the top eight. But if we can keep a group together from eight kids, six to eight kids together, from the time they're six when they start playing, all the way through 14 and then into high school, right? How much better is that team going to be when they go to these showcases? Sure, they're going to be great. They know each other. Yep. They know they know who's playing what. They're going to bounce around. 
They're not going to care that their best friend that they've known since they were six is playing because he's having, they might get frustrated because they're not competing as well. But at the end of the day, that kid that he's grown up with, I still talk to friends from home that I played with when I was 9, 10, 11, where I'm the only one still in baseball, but I still have that relationship with sure. him. We don't talk baseball. Right. But when we were at the games, we were creating fake mics, pretending to be Harry Carey, and doing all the fun stuff because that's what we did in the dugout, and we had the freedom to do so. And like, one of the things for me is like I try to keep all of our dugouts as light as possible. Like, have stay engaged in the game, but have fun. But if we're talking about something that doesn't pertain, but I know you're watching the game. I've sat with pro guys and college guys and summer ball and the conversations that happen in the dugout are not right for this podcast. Right. But you ask that kid to go in and he's ready to go. Yeah. So telling a kid like he has to be locked in, he has to be talking to his teammates every single pitch, he's not going to want to be there for the hour 45. Right. He's going to be like, okay, well, this, I'm only going to have fun when I'm doing something. Right. Instead of... We get to talk about our fun stuff while we're here together. And I go, hey, we need you, this pitch, we need you. And you give them little bursts, it just takes off. Sure. I mean, I like that because, yeah, it is hard to keep. I know like with my high school team, mm -hmm. sometimes I'll have a squad of 24 players. Mm -hmm. So my initial conversation with those players in, in, in the beginning of the season is, look, we got 24 guys. Yeah. There are guys here that are not going to see the field very much. Yeah. Uh, just by sheer numbers, it would be very difficult for me to do it. And I like the idea of, yes, let them have fun. Maybe, you know, an inning or two before you plan on using them or getting them into the game. Or the, hey, guys, yeah. get ready. I'm, yeah. You're probably going to go in a game in the next couple of innings. So, you know, get ready. I mean, we can, as long, like, we have, I just have a, hey, clean it up. They know. All right. There you go. Maybe too far. Yeah. Maybe we've gone too far. I don't have to yell at them. Hey, I, I clean it up here. Need you. That's all. I love that. And it, it's just a quick verbal that they know, okay, maybe we're too off topic. Right. Right. We'll finish it later. And they lock back in. And I do that with the 18U girls. I do it with our college guys. I do it with 10- and 11-year-old teams. 14 and under, they have to learn how to love the game. If they don't love the game, they're not going to play as well as they could in high school. They're not going to put in the work they need to. Fall in love with the game before 14, and oh, yeah. you'll know if you want to play college baseball or not. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, and again, it was something that was going to go a little off topic. How is it coaching girls? I love it. Yeah. It, it is. So, coaching 14 to 18-year-old girls is very comparable to coaching college guys because college softball is their professional baseball. Right. Like, sure. they, they have the pro league that's starting, and I hope it takes off. But, like, for them right now, them playing in front of the, the coaches at the Alliance and the Firecracker out in Colorado and some of these bigger tournaments, that's their college. So they get it, and they want to learn. What's up? Great job, brother. Thank you. Good to see you. Good to see you. How's everything? Good. Good. <laughs> I know. I'll send you guys a text in a minute. But, like, the, the girls that, like, they want to compete. They want to get better. They want to learn. They want. And the biggest difference is guys try to be too flashy 
girls try to be too mechanical because they want to please you. Okay. So, like, my biggest cue this fall was go athlete. Go athlete. And they got sick of hearing me say it. And I'm like, I don't want you to please me. I want you to learn how far you can go before you fail. And if you're trying to be perfect mechanically, you're not going to be good. Like, I look at Sis Bates, who just signed a pro contract. She was the shortstop at Washington. She grew up playing with the guys. Like, and she was on SportsCenter every weekend because she made some play that was unreal. And right. it's like the softball term of, like, you're playing Latin is you're playing like a guy. Cool. I don't care. You're competing. Go get after it. Oh, yeah. Like, make a jump throw. Make a spin throw. Oh, throw yeah. it on the run. Like, go make a diving be an play. athlete. Like, go be an athlete and see how far you can go. And they had a great season. We qualified for Alliance already. So we're, we're already steps ahead of what we were last year. And it's just letting them go have fun. Right. And that, that's interesting because I've... I've talk to many people who have coached girls mm -hmm. and I ask the same question all the mm -hmm. time and I have never ever got a different answer than what you just gave me. Mm -hmm. Everybody says the same thing. You know, boys are tougher to coach than girls. So for me, like I obviously draw the line of friend and coach, but like if I'm not coaching at a school and I'm coaching you and you need something at 11 o'clock at night, text me. Like, if you need to talk through something, text me. Like, if you're doing a lesson with me, it's a safe place. Yes. If we're just doing a little bit of work and you're talking to me about your day, you got better because you got it out. And, like, that's been probably the toughest transition because, like, the guys have no problem talking to me about XYZ as a high school kid. Right. And the girls are starting to, and I'm like, okay, like... Let's draw a line here. I don't need to know about that part of your life, but like, let, <laughs> right, right. Let, let, but if you're comfortable enough to talk to me about that, that means you have trust in me, which means I can push you farther. Well, I mean, if you get a chance, there was one episode that we did with a gentleman. His name is Bill Ekstrom. Okay. And he talks about creating those safe spaces yeah. for your players. And I thought it was very interesting, you know, when he explained what he meant by that. You kind of went into it a little bit where, yes, your players trust you enough that they will have those tough conversations with you. You know what? And sometimes that may be the outlet that they need because maybe they can't talk to mom and dad that way. You know what I'm saying? Well, and the other piece of it, like, I've used a board at practice where everybody's got, like, a clip or whatever. And it's a board of, hey, like, school-wise. I had a crap day at work, I had, or I had a crap day at school, I had a bunch of tests, I had a great day at school, like, and go down, and then you can see where the team atmosphere is coming in. Because right. if we had a big test day, I'm not just going to go beat them up on the baseball diamond, so I have to adjust my practice plan. Right. So if I'm going to sit there and, hey, we had a really good day, okay, let's get after it today, because everybody's in a good mind space, let's, let's see how far we can push today. Right. If we had a bad day, let's go hit BP, let's go have some fun, let's go compete just to get our mind away from sure. it. Because if we everybody had tests that day, or testing, or state testing, or however you want to look at it, they're going to be miserable. Right. Which means practice is going to be miserable. So if you're sitting there trying to figure that out, like, good luck. Right. And if, right. You, and if you don't pay attention to that as a coach, you're not going to get the most out of your guys. You, now, 
if there's something that you, you need to get through, like we're big on mental prep. Uh, Alan Yeager talks about it all the time. Before every game, we take a five-minute visualization. I tell guys we'll do it once a week at practice. If you guys need it, if you guys want it, if, if the captains come up to me and say, hey, we need that to get started today, I'll, by all means, let's ride. Like, let, let me help you do it. Yes. But if you're, if we don't need it that day, we can talk about it while we're hitting, while we're doing defense. You can visually go through stuff. But if you need to mentally decompress as a team, cool. I have guys that do it on their own. They'll go lay somewhere in the outfield before practice, five minutes, lay down, spread out, focus on their breathing, look up at the sky, do whatever. And the, I've seen guys take off from that. Yeah. Like they just come out, we got the music blaring, we have fun. They calm down for five minutes, and then it's showtime. Yeah, we we do it as a team. Yeah. Yes. Alan Jager was one of the guys that, that I learned that from. Sheets was another mm -hmm. guy I learned it from. I learned it from. I actually have a mental performance coach that I went to that was teaching me yeah. how to teach my players. And it works. We get together, and first thing we do, get to the field. Everybody knows what to do. They all relax, lay down, clear their head. It makes a big difference if you can make them understand that. And we talk about it all the time as coaches, control what you can control. Be in the present, okay? Whatever happened during the day is over with. We can't control that anymore. It's done. Let's clear our heads and let's get ready for the next thing. Yep. So, yes, I mean, we do a lot of that, believe it or not, at the JV high school level. It, the quicker you can – I had my 9 you guys do it. Like, yeah. our 12 – our 9 you guys did it before doubleheaders. Our 12 you guys did it between because we were awful in the second game. Right. Like they go send them off, they're having their watermelon, hanging out with mom and dad, and then you got to get them zoned back in. Sure. So before our warm up for the second game, I would have them all do it then. So we could relock in, they could go through what they did good in the first game, we can focus on what we want to do good in the second game, and we started sweeping double headers. Yeah. And it was, I don't think, I don't know if it was because of that, but we were definitely a lot more ready to play. In game two. Well, I would say if you notice the change between before you did it and after you did it, then there, there's a proof, right? I think that, and you, you hit the nail on the head when you said the, the younger players, I think that the mental performance is something that is almost non-existent at Coaches young don't levels. know how to do it. They don't know and, how to do and it. And you, you can't blame a dad that's trying to help his kids get better. Like, you, you can't put that on them. But the more that, like, I think ABCA is at 8,400 coaches that are youth and travel only, which is huge considering we're probably going to surpass 14,000. So it's over 50% of youth and high school coaches that are coming here, which means we're starting to make an impact. Yes. And the more that that gets talked about, I know Hannah Huseman speaking on the youth stage uh, either today or tomorrow. Wait, I'm sorry. Who? Hannah Huseman. Oh, okay. Yes, uh, yes, I, yes. She's yes. with the Rangers now. Yep. Um, she does a mental sweat Monday. I love listening to it. She's great at it, yep. and she knows what she's talking about. She, I mean, she works with the Rangers now. Like, but just getting, like, even coaches. How can you make your practice better? If you're in a good headspace, if you're coming from work or coming from another field or whatever, and you're walking up to the field pissed off, your players are going to feed off that. Sure if you're coming in excited to see them every day, they're going to feed off that. If coach is excited to be here, I should be excited to be here. Sure. Yeah. I think that, like you said, I think that we are making a little bit of, of headway into the younger, younger level coaches to make them understand how this works. 
another thing I should say that you said during your presentation is find what works for them. Mm -hmm. And again, that's something that I'm a big proponent of that only because the, what I took from what you said was we don't want to create robots. Mm -hmm. Each kid is individual, find what works for them. Is that what you meant? Yeah, so I, I tell all of our guys like in the fall, I want to know what hitting beliefs you have. I want to know what infield and catching beliefs you have. And then I want to make those stronger. I might challenge them. I'm not telling you you're wrong. I'm trying to challenge you to be a better coach. So like our catching guys, obviously they'll go watch JT Rilamuto and Adley Rushman and, and those guys. And you sit there and go, okay, can you do that? Like I had one guy want to do JT's like hybrid stance where he starts on a knee and then jumps up and he was showing me, I'm like, Beatty, are you that athletic? Probably not. Okay, so why don't we build off that? If you want to start on a knee, how can we get up faster without jumping? And we sat and caught 500 balls through the course of the week and he figured it out and now he's a primar primarily one knee down guy. Right. And he loves them. Right. And he has no issue with it. Right. And I look at him and I'm like, well, if he can figure it out, the next guy can. Sure. And I talk to my 10-year-olds the same way. Like, we, we won't get in as in-depth. Sure. But I have 13-year-olds trying to figure out hybrid stances because they're asking questions on it and asking really good questions. Like, if you understand it that well, let's talk about it. Sure. Like, let's see how far I can push you. If you don't understand it, I'll back off. Right. But if I can have these high-level conversations, I can start to say, okay, yes, you understand this. Can your pitchers do that for you? Where you can do it, you know? Right. So, my dad, TJ. Hi, TJ. Jimmy Fillingeri, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. So. I had something, one more thing, and then I was gonna let you go. As far as, far as um, what, what, what you were just saying about working with them mm -hmm. to get where they want want to be in terms of mimicking this catcher or, mm -hmm. or, or whatever. It makes the player happy that you're working with him to get him where he wants to be, yes or no? Yeah, I mean, so I, I have two goals as a coach. I want to create a player that becomes his own coach and wants to coach, and I don't want to be his last coach. So... If I'm not his last coach, that means he went on and got better somewhere else and got more experience and got bourbon. So when he does become a coach, they can come back to me and teach me what they know. And the more that we can develop more coaches through the ranks, I knew when I was 12 years old that I wanted to coach at some point in my life when I was done playing. That's interesting. Like, I, I, I knew it. But... I had the freedom to, we were at the field every day, I would go hit with the older guys, we'd go, we'd go have home run derbies, the Little League Park was right by the house, by 13-14, we probably had four home run derbies a week. We would throw to each other, we'd set the screen up, and we learned how to throw BP to each other, we'd hit, we'd have fun for two hours, and we'd go home. And the more that we can develop coaches, meaning the kid learns how to coach himself, I don't want him to be disrespectful, but if you want to argue with me, let's talk. Right. Because it's going to make us both better at the same We're going to come to an agreement. Sure. And you might change my thought. And I hope you do. Because I don't have it all figured out. I never right. will. None of us will. But if I can learn from you, and hey, this is what I'm feeling, this is my feel, 
okay, well, the reel looks okay. Let's see if it works. And then you just go from there. Yeah. Great. I mean, I got to tell you something. Really, Jake, this was a great interview. I loved your presentation, and thank you so much for taking the time. Absolutely. Any way I can help, please let me know. Uh, absolutely. Again, thank you very much. Absolutely. So tell me, was that fantastic or what? The one big takeaway that I got out of the conversations that I had while I was at this convention was that everybody is there to learn, to make themselves better so that they can help others. I mean, it seemed to be universal. Everybody was talking about that. It's just a really great environment that I think anybody who's a baseball coach should really be interested in, at the very least, joining the ABCA. And then if you're lucky enough and fortunate enough to be able to go to the conventions, then when you go there, you'll, I guess you'll see what we, what we all mean when we say it's like a Disneyland for baseball coaches. And make sure you keep an eye out. There are two more interviews that I'm going to be releasing very soon. And I'm sure you're going to love those too. So once again, thanks for listening. And I'm sure I know any of the coaches that I talked to while I was at the convention understand that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Thanks, everyone. And see you on the next one.